Well, <clears throat> further proof that I am, in fact, a terrible proofreader, the uh, reading, the gospel reading from John, is actually missing the punchline. Go for it. No, it's not your fault. It is mine. Uh, well, it, it, if I had bothered to reread the final copy, I would have caught it. Uh, it was a busy week. Our stuff arrived at our house, um, which is exciting. And that's also, also going to be a sermon illustration in a little bit, so I'll, I'll hold on to that. The punchline for this section is actually the end of verse 9, which is not printed, which is, now that day was a Sabbath, which is an odd punchline, but hold that thought because we've got to get through a bunch of other stuff first. Uh, there's this guy, he's laying by this pool that's called Bethesda. And uh, as it turns out, or the legend goes, uh, the uh, waters there are what we would call living waters. In other words, water flows into it. And periodically, water would kind of come rushing into it and it would stir the waters. And legend has it that when that happened, the pool had healing properties of some kind. Now, I don't know about you, but as kind of a modern, western, post-enlightenment type of person, I hear that or read that and go, eh, I don't buy it. Because, let me be honest, like if I said, hey, I found this this pool of water, it's kind of like north a little bit, and every once in a while it starts bubbling, and when I was there, it cured my acne. You would probably go, sure it did. Um, I have no explanation for it. Um, as it turns out, though, about 80, 75, 80 years after this moment, when the Roman Emperor Hadrian came through and sought to stamp out all remnants of, uh, of the Jewish people in the wreckage that was Jerusalem, he actually built what's called an Asclepion uh, on or right next to this pool called Bethesda. Uh, that is a temple to a god associated with healing. So somehow there was this legend and tradition that somehow persisted in the breakage between Jewish occupation and Roman occupation. So, I don't know, do with it what you will. But sometimes things are stranger than we'd like to think. Uh, Jesus comes up to this guy. He's obviously been there a while, uh, 38 years. That's my entire lifetime. And he's never been able to get to the waters because he can't walk. So that's pretty, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And Jesus then <laughs> comes and asks, like, do you want me to heal you? <laughs> How do you respond to that and it not come across really sarcastic? Um, what do you think? Jesus, like, why else would I be here? Uh, well, it turns out it's a very good question. Um, in the ancient Near East, uh, and I think this is true uh, today in certain parts of the Middle East, um, it was understood that God commands you to give charity to the poor. It's a commandment. And 
If it's a commandment, then you've got to fulfill it. Well, how are you going to give money to somebody that doesn't exist? And so people who had like these uh, ailments or infirmities that they couldn't work like a normal, uh, healthy person, well, they were seen as serving that role in society. And it's actually a pretty compassionate idea. I kind of like it. Like, okay, they exist so that I can fulfill God's commandment to be generous. And so the question then is asking, are you ready for a new way of being, a new way of living. Which is kind of an unnerving thought. Like, what if circumstances changed and suddenly everything about you was different? Your whole way of being in the world and interacting with people changed. Even if it was an improvement, it's really tough. So, in any case, the guy says, yes. Um, and Jesus says, Get a, pick up your mat. And so he does. He's healed. It's a miracle, but it's also not really the point of this story. He's carrying his mat on a Sabbath. You don't do that. God had commanded his people when he visited Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, observe the Sabbath, keep it holy. And again, like, don't work on the Sabbath. And that's the only thing he said. So that raises a bunch of questions that were being discussed actively at the time of Jesus, which is, what does that mean? (laughs) What's work? Is it work to cook? Yes. Is it work to carry really heavy things? Yes. Is it work to take two substances and mix them together to create a new substance? The sages at the time of Jesus decided, yes, that is considered work. Is it work to walk like from here to over there? No. Is it work to build a fire? Yes. And so on and so forth. It's really born out of a heartfelt desire to just follow God's commandment. I can't fault them for that. Actively being discussed at the time of Jesus is the notion of healing on the Sabbath. Is healing considered work? There was a lot of disagreement. However, within a certain party... Within the Pharisees, Pharisees were very divided, especially the Pharisees around Jerusalem, which is where Jesus is at this moment. It was considered work to heal on the Sabbath, and therefore you could not do it. So this guy, and this is kind of the rest of the story, he's carrying this mat, and some people stop him, and they're like, you can't do that. Why are you doing that? And the guy said, it's great. He didn't know who Jesus was, but the guy says, well, um, the guy who healed me told me to do it, which is a really genius response. And so they, he didn't know, nobody knew who it was, and eventually the guy rats him out. He, he, uh, he realizes it was Jesus, and he tells them, oh, no, it was this guy, uh, Yeshua, he's from Galilee, he's over there. And then John says, from that point on, they continue to really hate Jesus, essentially. Um, and so uh, it, that, that, that raises all kinds of questions, because for us, why wouldn't you heal somebody 
even if it was the Sabbath when you're supposed to be resting, especially if they desperately needed it. And this issue was discussed endlessly. My favorite example comes from a body of writing called the Mishnah. It's a, um, a really early Jewish work uh, that includes discussions that were taking place during the time of Jesus, and the discussion was revolving around the consumption of vinegar. I spend my time wisely. Um, and, f- I mean, right off the bat, you're wondering, like, why are you just drinking vinegar? I don't know. That's what they did, apparently. They just enjoyed that. Um, If you consume vinegar on a Sabbath, that's fine. If you had an infected tooth and consumed vinegar, that's fine. But if on consuming the vinegar, you sucked it through the infected tooth to try and sterilize it, that's considered work and taking medicine, and that's forbidden. (laughs) But it's important to note that the discussion was not static. It was hotly contested and debated. And shortly after the time of Jesus, it was ruled that because the Bible says, by these words you will live, that all of God's commandments ought to support life. And therefore, that is like the base thing. Everything we do must be as best we can to support life. And therefore, that includes healing on the Sabbath. It's kind of, I mean, it's not mentioned directly, but I think part of it is because of Jesus, a rabbi from Galilee who demonstrated that healing and life ought to trump like everything else. But in any case, at that moment, I have a hard time faulting the people who come up to this guy who now can walk and he's carrying his mat who are saying, you can't do that. Based on their leadership, they are doing the right thing. Their goal is to help people follow God's laws, including observing the Sabbath. The point where they make the mistake is when they realize that the guy who miraculously heals him is the one who told him, to, quote, break the Sabbath. Under normal circumstances, that ought to shake them a little bit. It ought to help them realize, hold on, the guy who did that is the one who told you to break that rule maybe we should figure out who this guy really is. But they don't. All they see in that moment is the rule that is broken. This is, as we would say, missing the forest for the trees. Obsessing over a single detail or a set of details The rules, the way things have always been done, the way I think things should be, rather than taking a step back and asking certain questions like, what's really going on here? What are we really trying to accomplish? Um, Just a heads up, 
Lutherans are pathologically bad at this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why would we change the order of service? Well, we always stand for the reading of the gospel. We always have a hymn after this. We always say the creed after the sermon. Why? There are good reasons. But sometimes if what we do gets in the way of what we are really here to accomplish, which is going and finding people who do not know Jesus and introducing the two, then maybe there's a problem. I'll give you an example kind of from my own experience and my own personal well, I don't really want to say the, the real word, at least in a sermon, uh, the tremendous experience it has been trying to get into our house. Um, we bought a house, it needs a lot of work. Uh, we knew it needed a lot of work. That's how we were able to get it. And we, with the help of my mother-in-law and, and Katie and I, we've been organizing and getting, you know, all the subcontractors and everything else that needs to be done. It needed roof, flooring, paint, sewer, electrical. I think I'm forgetting at least one thing. Um, a whole bunch of trees had to come. Just a mess, right? And as you can imagine, we've been on edge. Um, me especially, although I don't show it uh, immediately. I don't emote quite like that. And as I think I said a couple of weeks ago, there are multiple times where it's like, well, that's going to have to be rescheduled, and that's going to push back the date when we can actually get into the house. And, and well, these subcontractors, they're doing great. These are, these are circumstances outside of their control. Uh, I feel like I'm never going to get into the house. And there have been a couple of times when it's been so overwhelming, you know, you ever get to the point where all you can do is focus on those single things and those single things turn at least into, in your imagination into a catastrophe and you think, ah, the plumbers aren't going to get here in time and I'm never going to live in this house. Which is ridiculous. And I think I'm not the only one who experiences this or your brain gets so overloaded that you don't take a step back and say, really? Because that's delayed by like two days, you're never going to live there. You're going to be fine. But you're not there. You're in the moment. And one of the things that's kind of struck me is we've kind of been going through this and I still have some stumps I'm trying to dig out and I, I had to buy a new blade for the saw and I think finally maybe I'll get... Ah! But anyway, my house uh, on, the, on the driveway has an amazing view of the Sandia Mountains. And, you know, I'm new to the area, I'm from California. I love being that close. I never thought I'd, I'd like this, but I love being that close to the mountains and having like a really cool view. I would have shown you a picture, but while I know where my nice camera is, I can't find the memory cards. They're in a box somewhere. Um, again, moving. And, and I found myself a couple of times, like just frustrated. It's like, okay, walking around, you, you know, I, I'm going to go check the mail. And, and you walk out, and you're on the driveway, and you look at just this awesome view of the mountains, kind of similar to how we, our view right out there. 
And it's like, wow, those mountains are so big. And they're old, and they're mysterious, they're wild, they're dangerous. Existence itself is a mystery and a miracle. Eric, does it really matter if the plumber's late? No. No, of course not. Worst case scenario, we're a little uncomfortable for another week. You're going to be fine. What this story highlights, including, of course, that Jesus is the Son of God, fully human, fully divine, with power over infirmities that even modern medicine cannot heal, that he is grace incarnate, God's wisdom incarnate, walking around in creation, that he, according to John, uh, is the word spoken to create the universe, now walking around in sandals. Aside from all of that, is a reminder that not only on the one hand do we, are we as human beings immensely, incredibly comically capable of just missing the forest for the trees, just lacking any bigger perspective and getting consumed by the details when things don't work out over and over and over again till you, we're going to lose our minds. Not only does it highlight that, but gently suggests just like this guy who's carrying this mat and he knows that he shouldn't do that, realizes, well, the guy who had power over my paralysis told me to do it. I'm going to go with that. The gospel of Jesus, like the presence of Jesus first coming to us um, 2,000 years ago and reigning on his throne from then on, is an invitation to perspective. If God raised him from the dead after he gives himself for us, and if that new life is beating in our very hearts by the power of his spirit, then maybe that little thing that is constantly annoying us Maybe that's not the end of the world. That maybe <laughs> my schedule gets off a little bit. It's going to take another couple weeks to live in the house I bought. And I, ah, maybe I'm going to be fine. Maybe things like illness, disease, setback, job loss. And a whole million other things that can come along and just ruin our days. That's just a small part of the story. It doesn't make it easier. But if God can raise us from the or can raise Jesus from the dead and will raise us from the dead as well, maybe by his power we can also take a couple steps back. Take a deep breath. And realize nothing is the end of the world. <laughs> Unless it is the end of the world. In which case, it's time for resurrection. And newness of life. I invite you to stand.